Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to In the Closet Objectivist. This is one of your hosts, Dr. Meg Ribbons, filling in for Corey while he recovers. So you'll have to be patient with me. It's not the same without him by far, but um, hopefully I will provide at least an adequate substitute. Um, so today's topic is um, the romance of Atlas Shrugged. Now, as um, our loyal listeners know, I make myself fall asleep by listening to um, romance books from Audible um, because they're that boring. So, <laughs> it and it's... I know, I know what you're thinking because I'm thinking the same thing. It's super lame and I'm not proud of it. On the other hand, it's been kind of instructive as to like what romance should be and what it is, or at least what it's generally, you know, represented to be in our culture. And I wanted to like, I don't know how many people think of Atlas Shrugged as a love story. But um, I wanted to share for you like the reason, you know, the, the, the biggest reason why I love Atlas Shrugged. And I'm going to do it in a, in a few different scenes. Um, I feel bad about this, but I'm going to contrast them with some scenes from popular romance novels. Again, I don't feel great about that, but I do find it instructive. I've tried to kind of dial back on the smuttiness, but um, be warned that it might get a little graphic, and um, in terms of Atlas Shrugged, it might be slightly plot spoilery. So, with those, um, pr- with that preface in mind, um, let's get back to the housekeeping. You can find us obviously on Blog Talk Radio, um, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, iTunes. Um, we are on Facebook, In the Closet Objectivist. That is our group. Please feel free to join. Um, I try to be good about updating, but really the best way to hear about new episodes or retro episodes is to follow us on Blog Talk, because um, I'm not great about remembering to advertise. Um, we're, I'm, I'm bringing back new episodes you know, for um, a limited period of time, so be sure to check back frequently and We've got some we've got some good ones, if I do say some of myself. I hope you enjoy them. Um, so, uh, yeah, and we're on Patreon. Um, so show, show Corey your love with dollars, because that's how we do an objectivism. Again, kidding. But seriously, donate to Patreon. Um, okay, so that's about all the housekeeping I can stand in one sitting. So here we go. Let's dive in. So the first, um, the, the first scene I want to highlight in Atlas Shrugged is the meet cute. Now, this is not the first time that Hank and Dagny meet, but it is the first time you see them together in Atlas Shrugged. It's their first scene together. 
Um, so I think it counts as a meet cute. And so to contrast it, I'm going to start by sharing you um, a, a, a fairly sizable excerpt from um, uh, Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Quote, when we entered the classroom, Angela went to sit at a black-topped lab table exactly like the ones I was used to. She already had a neighbor. In fact, all the tables were filled but one. Next to the center aisle, I recognized Edward Cullen by his unusual hair, sitting next to the single open seat. As I walked on the aisle to introduce myself to the teacher and get my slip signed, I was watching him surreptitiously. Just as I passed, he suddenly went rigid in his seat. He stared at me again, meeting my eyes with the strangest expression on his face. It was hostile, furious. I looked away quickly, shocked, going red again. I stumbled over a book in the, hall, in the walkway and was, had to catch myself on the edge of a table. The girl sit, sitting there giggled. I noticed his eyes were black, coal black. Mr. Banner signed my slip and handed me a book with no nonsense about introductions. I could tell we were going to get along. Of course, he had no choice but to send me to the one open seat in the middle of the room. I kept my eyes down as I went to sit by him, bewildered by the antagonistic stare he'd given me. I didn't look up as I set my book on the table and took my seat. But I saw his posture change from the corner of my eye. He was leaning away from me, sitting on the extreme edge of his chair and averting his face like he smelled something bad. Inconspicuously, I sniffed my hair. It smelled like strawberries, the scent of my favorite shampoo. It seemed an innocent enough odor. I let my hair fall over my right shoulder, making a dark curtain between us and tried to pay attention to the teacher. Unfortunately, the lecture was on cellular anatomy, something I had already studied. I took notes carefully anyway, always looking down. I couldn't stop myself from peeking occasionally through the screen of my hair at the strange boy next to me. During the whole class, he never relaxed his stiff position on the edge of the chair, sitting as far away from me as possible. I could see his hand on his left leg was clenched into a fist, tendons standing out under his pale skin. This, too, he never relaxed. He had the long sleeves of his white shirt pushed out to his elbows, and his forearm was surprisingly hard and muscular beneath his light skin. He wasn't nearly as slight as he'd looked next to his burly brother. The class seemed to drag on longer than the others. Was it, the day, was it because the day was finally coming to a close, or because I was waiting for his tight fist to loosen? It never did. He continued to sit so still it looked like he wasn't breathing. What was wrong with him? Was this his normal behavior? I questioned my judgment on Jessica's bitterness at lunch today. Maybe she was just not maybe she was not as resentful as I'd thought. It couldn't have anything to do with me. He didn't know me from Eve. I peeked out to him once more one more time and regretted it. He was glaring down at me again, his black eyes full of revulsion. As I flinched away from him, shrinking against my chair, the phrase, if looks could kill, suddenly ran through my mind. At that moment, the bell rang loudly, making me jump, and Edward Cullen was out of his seat. Fluidly, he rose. He was much taller than I'd thought. 
his back to me and he was out of the door before anyone else was out of their seat. I sat frozen in my seat, staring blankly after him. He was so mean. It wasn't fair. I began gathering up my things slowly, trying to block the anger that filled me for fear my eyes would tear up. For some reason, my temper was hardwired to my tear ducts. I usually cry when I was angry. A humiliating tendency. End quote. So there you have it. I mean, as an author, you can have a me-cute be absolutely anything. This is a selective recreation of reality, so you are limited only by reality and your imagination. It's really not that limiting. And yet this author chose to have the me-cute be with a socially retarded jerk that doesn't say anything. That's the me-cute. That's how they get attracted to each other. I guess he has nice arms or something. Okay, so now to the Atlas Shrugged Dagny Hank meet cute. Quote, They stood at the window, watching silently, intently. She did not speak until another load of green-blue metal came moving across the sky. Then the first words she said were not about rail, track or an order completed on time she said as if greeting a new phenomenon of nature reared in metal he noticed that but said nothing he glanced at her then turned back to the window hank this is great yes he said it simply openly there was no flattered pleasure in his voice and no modesty this, she knew, was a tribute to her, the rarest one person could pay another, the tribute of feeling free to acknowledge one's own greatness, knowing that it is understood. She said, when I think about what that metal can do, what it will make possible, Hank, this is the most important thing happening in the world today, and none of them know it. We know it. They did not look at each other. They stood watching the crane. On the front of the locomotive in the distance, she could distinguish the letters TT. She could distinguish the rails of the busiest industrial siding of the Taggart system. As soon as I find a plant able to do it, she said, I'm going to order diesels made of reared metal. You'll need them. How fast do you run your trains on the Rio Norte track? Now? We're lucky if we manage to make... 20 miles an hour, he pointed to the cars. When that rail is laid, you'll be able to run trains at 250 if you wish. I will, in a few years, when we'll have cars of written metal, which will be half the weight of steel and twice as safe. You'll have to look out for the airlines. We're working on a plane of written metal. It will weigh practically nothing and lift anything. You'll see the day of long-haul, heavy freight air traffic. I've been thinking of what that metal can do for motors, any motors, and what sort of thing one can design now. Have you thought of what it'll do for chicken wire? Just plain chicken wire fences made of reared metal that will cost a few pennies a mile and last 200 years. And kitchenware that will be bought at the dime store and passed on from generation to generation and ocean liners that no one 
that one won't be able to den with a torpedo. Did I tell you I'm having tests made of communications wire, rude metal? I'm making so many tests, I'll never get through showing people what can be done with, this, with it and how to do it. They spoke of the metal and of the possibilities which they could not exhaust. It was as if they were standing on a mountaintop, seeing a limitless plain below and roads open in all directions. But they merely spoke of mathematical figures, of weights, pressures, resistances, costs. Skipping a bit, quote, She had forgotten every problem, person, and, and event behind her. They had always been clouded in her sight, to be hurried past, to be brushed aside, never final, never quite real. This was reality, she thought. This sense of clear outlines, of purpose, of lightness, of hope. This was the way she expected to live. She had wanted to spend no hour and take no action that would mean less than this. Unquote. Skipping a bit. Quote, Dagny, he said. Whatever we are, it's we who move the world, and it's we who pull it through, unquote. That's one of my favorite scenes in all of literature. It's so beautiful just imagining these two people in their first scene together. They're imagining this, this revolution that will make everyone's lives and the entire planet better for the rest of time. It's so beautiful and and so important, um, I, I, monumental, I, I can't put enough big adjectives to it, and I just, I love that that's what romance can look like. So next, we're going to go to um, an afterglow scene, and interestingly enough, in, in Atlas Shrugged, it comes before Coitus, um, which... Uh, for plot spoiler reasons I won't get into, but I'm going to start with um, an afterglow scene from another romance novel called Soul to the Shake by Chloe Cox. Um, quote, Wave of pleasure upon pleasure until her poor, overburdened mind went completely blank. Stella had no idea how long it took her to come back to full consciousness. The usual period of blissful obliviousness, of fuzzy-headed happiness, seemed extended and stretched. Time wasn't quite the same. Her face, all over her face, felt like pins and needles, pleasurable instead of painful. She tried to move her head, talk, tried to talk, but failed. It took her a long time to realize that she was nestled against the sheikh's chest. Her face pressed against his soft white shirt. Her body cradled in his arms as he sat in the chair. Sorry, I'm chewing on my lot on his chair. Um, I mean, so, there's not much to say about this except to highlight the fact that this is very anti-mind, anti-thought, right? She's just kind of made stupid in the afterglow. So here's the afterglow scene in Atlas Shrugged. Quote, she looked at the rail under her feet. No, she said. He smiled. He looked down at the rail, then let his eyes move along the track up the sides of the mountains to the distant crane. She saw two things, as if, for a moment, the two stood alone in her field of vision. 
the lines of his profile and the blue-green cord coiling into through space. We've done it, haven't we? He said. In payment for every effort, for every sleepless night, for every silent thrust against despair, this moment was all she wanted. Yes, we have. She looked away, noticed an old crane on a siding, and thought that its cables were worn and would need replacing. This was the great clarity of being beyond emotion after the reward of having everything one could feel. Their achievement, she thought, and one moment of acknowledging it, of possessing it together. What greater intimacy could one share? Now she was free for the simplest, most commonplace concerns of the moment, because nothing could be meaningless within her sight. I mean, what a, I, I can't even... It, it's, it's probably anticlimactic to, to talk about what, the, what contrast there is there to, to have reached this, this height of emotion, this climax, if you will, and then to, to feel like even the smallest things are not trivial, that, that everything is important and, and worth notice because it's within your own sight. That's lovely. Okay. So now we're going to go um, to the throes of passion scene. Um, so the, so the foil scene is from a book called Entwined with You by Sylvia Day. Quote, no, I begged, afraid I'd lose my mind, but it wasn't my safe word, crossfire, and I flowered open for him, giving way under the questing pressure. He growled as he claimed that dark place. He came over me, his other hand moving to finger my sex, to spread me and rub me, my pulsing clit. Mine, he said gruffly, you're mine. It was too much. I came with a scream, shaking violently, my hands squeaking on the glass as my sweaty palms slipped. He began pounding the ecstasy into me, his thumb on my rear, an irresistible torment, his clever fingers on my clit driving me insane. Now, as description goes, this this is effective in that it, it describes very well the author regards as important um, metaphysically in sex, that it's, that it's dark, sweaty, subversive, it's about losing one's mind and going insane. I mean, it's, it's very, it's very anti-mind. It's, it's very anti-flourishing and, and exalting, anti-exalting. That's not really a word, but, um, so here's, here's sort of the, here's, I think, an equivalent scene and again, this is a little bit plot spoilery, but this is when they're on the Jonga line. They spend fully a, a third of this hefty novel fighting against every kind of opposition to build the Jonga line. This, you know, with this revolutionary new material, um, the you know, reared in metal, um, 
to save the country, to save the world, right? And they've done it. Um, and this is, this is the scene. Quote, Reardon stood in the middle of the cab. He stood, hands in his pocket, feet apart, braced against the motion, looking ahead. There was nothing he could now care to see by the side of the track. He was looking at the rail. Ownership, she thought, glancing back at him. Weren't there those who knew nothing of its nature and doubted its reality? No, it was not made of papers, seals, grants, and permission. There it was, in his eyes. Skipping a bit, quote, Nothing was distant and nothing was out of reach. She had barely grasped the sparkle of a lake ahead, and in the next instant she was beside it, then passed. It was a strange foreshortening between sight and touch, she thought, between wish and fulfillment, between the words clicked sharply in her mind after a startled stop, between spirit and body. First, the vision, then the physical shape to express it. First the thought, then the purposeful motion down the straight line of a single track to a chosen goal. Could one have any meaning without the other? Wasn't it evil to wish without moving or to move without aim? Skipping a, a bit, quote. Physical pleasure, she thought. This train was made of steel, running on rares, rails of reared metal, moved by the energy of burning oil and electric generators. It's a physical sensation of physical movement through space. But is that what... Is that the cause and the meaning of what I now feel? Skipping a bit, quote, She smiled, her eyes closed, the wind streaming through her hair. She opened her eyes and saw that Reardon stood looking down at her. It was the same glance with which he had looked at the rail. Skipping a bit, quote, She looked at the cab around her. The fine steel mesh of the ceiling, she thought, and the row of rivets in the corner holding the sheets of steel sealed together. Who made them? The brute force of men's muscles? Who made it possible for four dials and three lever levers in front of Pat Logan to hold the incredible power of the 16 motors behind them and deliver it effortlessly to the effortless control of one man's hand? I mean, it's just... It's so joyous and exultant, and, and I, I chose these two scenes because they both kind of deal with possessiveness and ownership, but one is the ownership of a man who's, who's created something and who, who owns his own productiveness and efficacy and, and ability to live in the world. The other is just a guy having sweaty sex. I, I mean, yeah, again, I, I, don't, I don't think any comment of mine is going to highlight the contrast as well as the scenes themselves. So the last um, has to do with unrequited love. And um, again, like all the other Atlas scenes I've, I've just read, this is, to me, one of the most beautiful and most romantic. And I've quoted it before and I, I just can't help myself. I, I love it. it. It just makes me ache every time I read it. Um, but before we do that, um, I've got um, 
and a scene of unrequ- a quote of unrequired love um, from the book All I Ever Wanted by Kristen Higgins, which I actually haven't read, and I'm not real sad about that. Um, here we go. Quote, I had to get over him. For months now, a stone had been sitting in my heart. I'd shed a lot of tears over him, lost a lot of sleep, eaten a lot of cake batter. Somehow, I had to move on. Life would be a hell of a lot easier if I didn't shake loose... Excuse me. Life would be hell if I didn't shake loose from the grip he had on my heart. I most definitely didn't want to keep feeling this way. Alone in love of, in a love affair meant for two. Even if you'd felt like the one. Even if I'd always thought we'd end up together. Even if he still had a choke chain on my heart. Unquote. I mean, the whole reference of cake batter makes it sound so pedestrian, so so commonplace, and I guess it's supposed to make it relatable, but it, it just paints unrequired love not as this, you know, as just beaten down and, and um, commonplace. Um, okay. So here's, here's the scene from Alice. Quote, she felt as she felt it one spring night, slumped across her desk in the crumbling office of the John Galt line, by a window facing a dark alley. The sense and vision of her own world, which she would never reach. You, she thought, whoever you are, whom I have always loved and never found. You, whom I expected to see at the end of the rails beyond the horizon, you whose presence I have always felt in the streets of the city and whose world I wanted to build. It is my love for you that has kept me moving, my love and my hope to reach you and my wish to be worthy of you on the day when I would stand before you face to face. Now I know that I shall never find you, that it is not to be reached or lived. But what is left of my life is still yours, and I will go on in your name, even though it is a name I'm, I'll never learn. I'll go on serving you, even though I'm never to win. I will go on to be worthy of you on the day when I would have met you, even though I won't. She had never accepted hopelessness, but she stood at the window and addressed to the shape of a fog-bound city. It was her self-dedication to unrequited love. I mean... That's, uh, wow, I'm at a loss for words. Dagny Taggart is a woman who is unstoppable, right? She's just like her railroad. She, She picks that straight line path and she goes and she gets where she aims to be. Um, you know, the, the, in the whole book, she's, she's had all these unbelievable obstacles thrown in her path and it just cannot stop her and yet to accept that she's never going to get the things she wanted most and to and to still find a way to go on and to to find that to carve out up whatever joy she can from you know being worthy of her love for the day she would have met him that's that's extraordinary and and heartbreaking and so beautiful it's it's anything but commonplace and pedestrian. It's 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 
I, I'm not even sure what the word is for it. It's, it's breathtaking. And this is, this is what I long for in, in literature, in, in romantic literature, and not just, you know, romantic art, but in romance as it's portrayed in literature. And it's shocking to me, um, how, how boring and lame and, and honestly degrading most romances in literature, um, I'm I'm glad there's at least a couple of examples, Atlas Shrugged being my favorite, of, you know, how beautiful love can be and how beautifully it can be portrayed. Um, so, with that, I'm going to close the podcast, um, or at least close the episode. We'll see you again, hopefully next week. I know I've been a little behind, um... So hopefully next week we'll have another another episode for you. In the meantime, cheers to reason. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.